Hey guys, Ryan DeMint from Chasing Happiness Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day. Today on the podcast, we have Dan Clouser, and Dan is doing something that I think is very cool and interesting is he packed up everything, sold his house in 2020, and he and his wife are on the road living a life of abundance and getting experiences, book deals, speaking, and so forth. But you guys know I'm a Red Sox fan. And their dog's name, which is a golden retriever, another great thing, is Eucalyptus. Dan, welcome into the show. Thanks, Ron. Glad to be here. Awesome that we could get you on and connect. So before I, I left a little part of your bio out so we could talk about it, and then we'll get into what you're doing. Talk a little bit about before you went on the road and sold everything, what you did. Yeah, so I'd, I ran a nonprofit youth sports organization for 30 years. I loved every minute of what I was doing. We, toward the end of the, toward the end of my tenure, the last seven or eight years of my tenure, we actually ran a 130 acre sports complex back in Pennsylvania. Uh, we were, we were really changing kids' lives and loving every minute of what we were doing. So if you would have talked to me in 2018 and said, Hey, do, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? Do you think you'll be traveling around the country in an RV similar to what your mom did back in the eighties? And I just said, absolutely not. That's, that's totally crazy. That's her story, not my story, but it just, I felt a calling to start a new chapter, which was a difficult pill to swallow initially. But now that we're almost three years in here, I absolutely love it. And so glad that we've made the decision. So what triggered this event to say, okay, I'm done and I'm ready to pack up and sell everything and live on the road? So it was actually two solo road trips that I took in early 2019. The first, I drove from Pennsylvania to Dallas, Texas to go to the ABCA convention, the American Baseball Coaches Alliance convention. And while I was there, I got to get together with some friends. I didn't go directly back to Pennsylvania. I actually went down through Southwest Louisiana, actually, ironically, where we're at the recording of this podcast and connected with, with some friends down here. And it was the first time in my life that I actually really enjoyed the journey and wasn't in a rush to get there. I left a couple of days in advance so I could take my time to get stopped in Memphis along the way. And then in February, I did a, again, very similar, I took a solo road trip to Orlando, Florida. And again, on the way I stopped, saw one of my old players in Atlanta. When I came back, I didn't just go up I-95 like I'd done hundreds of times in my life. At that point, I got off 95 and enjoyed the journey. And I had a, an epiphany that was like, I think I now understood why my mom did what she did. And just to give a, let, a little bit of context is back in the eighties, my mom took an old 1967 Plymouth Valiant, took the back seat out of it, put a sheet of plywood in there and a mattress and turned it into a quasi RV and just traveled all over the country, doing a lot of volunteer work, connecting with friends and family, but she was never in a hurry. She rarely took interstates. And when I got back from those two trips, I started writing like I hadn't written in many years. I'd already had one book out at the time, which was The Beauty of a Diamond Through the Eyes of a Coach, which looked at 2012. I was in the process of 10 chapters to that book, but it was really tough for me to write just with the amount of time I was put for the organization. Over the summer, when we're running tournaments and running to the complexes, really going and running on all cylinders, for me to work 90 to 100 hours was not uncommon. And in the winter, to work 60 or 70 hours was not uncommon either. So to sit down and write was just to carve out the time was difficult. And after those two trips, I had written like I hadn't written before. I was in the process of adding 10 chapters to that first book. And I think I'd knocked out like three or four chapters in what seemed like no time. 
And that's when it really felt like there was this inner calling. Oh, it's time to close this chapter. Even though you're doing great work, you'll love it. There's more out there for you. And it's time to use your written word and your voice to impact more people, even though we were making a great impact on the kids that we were dealing with in our organization. So that was really what it was. It was a pretty much a calling to do it. And again, I stress to people, I did not embrace it at first. The, the organization that I ran, I had founded it. it running it for 30 years. So literally 60% of my life on earth was spent giving to that organization. And I loved every second of it, but it just goes to show you that no matter what you're doing, there can always be something more in a different path for you. So after all those years of being in that position and, and helping all those other people in growing a nonprofit, you started writing, but how do you just, how, what, how do you just pack up and go? I'm not saying not to, I'm just, I'm talking about you're chasing the happiness. Really, those solo trips got you there. But in the end, you had to really just say, okay, I'm starting a new chapter. What were the feelings like? It was a mixed bag of emotions. Before I even brought it up to my wife, I'd went through a complete inner turmoil of whether or not I was just losing it. Was it a midlife crisis? What was going on? Was it something I really wanted to do? And finally, again, as I continued to dig into this inspiration and write more, I bought into the idea and then I had to present it to my wife and she thought I was crazy and thought maybe it should be institutionalized at that moment. But she was also going through some, some challenges professionally where some doors weren't opening for her. And after a few months, she came home one day and was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. And, and even then there was just, it was a constant kind of a roller coaster, even up until we put the, the house on the market to, until we started selling all of our stuff and having yard sales and selling stuff on Facebook marketplace. It was an incredible roller coaster, which I document quite a bit of that in what was my second book, The Journey of My Mother's Son, volume one, really talks about the six months leading up to our departure and the first year and a half on the road. So you've got three books that you've written. Is a fourth in the works? Yeah, actually a fourth, fifth, and sixth are in the works simultaneously because the, the Journey of My Mother's Son, volume one, is a subtitle is Many Random Thoughts from the Road. And it is just that. Like I said, it talks about our journey leading up to leaving and then our first several months, a little over a year on the road. And then volume two the subtitle will be Many Little People, which will just talk about people that we've met on this journey, which has been incredible. Some of them are people that we knew who we've been able to enhance our relationships with by traveling more. Some are people that we literally met and had a five or 10 minute conversation with. And we may not, like a lot of those people, I don't even remember their names, but they made an incredible impact on my life. The, the third book in that series will be Many Little Places, which will just talk more about the physical places we've been to and the impacts they've had on us. And then the fourth one will just be a picture of a coffee table book called Many Little Pictures, which will just, again, be pictures of places we've been to with some captions and stuff. So for the person that doesn't want to read 200, 220 pages, the, the picture book is for them. So how did you find this passion of writing? I'll tell you what, Ryan, I, I've written my entire life and I don't know really where it came from. When I was a young boy, I actually wrote a, a newsletter for my brother's adult soccer team. And I would, I'd write it out on notebook paper and the players and their wives and girlfriends read it each Sunday. And I just really enjoyed writing and even through junior high and high school. So I always wanted to, to write a book. And then finally in 2012, I got it all put together, which was a nine year work in progress. 
to boot. So then when I realized it wasn't done and added 10 chapters to it, I tell people that, look, if it's something you're working on, just keep writing. Because in, in essence, that first book, The Beauty of a Diamond Through the Eyes of a Coach, was an 18-year work in progress till it was actually complete. That is a long time to work on something. But the one thing that comes to my mind, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, is being persistent. And that's definitely persistent. That is a long time to go after it. But during that time, while you're going through and writing the book and putting it together, did you ever really think about that you were going to be releasing six, seven, eight books at a time? Or was it just always just a passion during that period of your life? Yeah, I never thought that I'd get to a point where I'd be releasing even two books, to be honest with you. I just, it was like, I wanted to get that, that one book done. And then when I did, it was kind of like, wow, I'm a published author now. It was pretty wild. But even that, I don't say that I had a vision to then write even more. It was really just, okay, I'm an author. This is the book I published. And even when I started adding chapters to it, knowing that I would be republishing in a fuller version, so to speak, I didn't even, until those two trips, and I started hearing this voice saying to write more and write more publicly, did I really envision myself to be an author of multiple books? But again, like for our organization, I wrote newsletter articles and stuff like that. And I always enjoyed just the, the ability to write and writing about special events that our organization did and really being able to capture the essence of those events um, was something that I had a talent for. But again, up until 2019, is probably when I really accepted the fact that writing is truly, truly that gift that I have. And now it's a full-time gig. It sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like and this, this here, and today, we're finishing up a book signing tour right now that we did through Texas and Louisiana. So today and tomorrow at the time of this podcast being recorded, will actually be my last two signings on this tour. So that's been really cool to, I never envisioned the words book tour tied to my name. <laughs> Or anything like that. And that, that's been a blast because it's not as much about signing books and selling books as it is just meeting people and hearing their stories and drawing even more inspiration from them. So you've been on the road almost three years now or three years? And it'll be three years in August of 2023. August of this year will be three years. Wow. So do you envision yourself and your wife and Euclid being on the road for much longer or where does that look? What does that look like? We really have no end plan. So as long as we're healthy, as long as we can still do it, um, that's, there's no exit plan at this point. It's just, we're going to do it as long as we can, as long as we feel comfortable and we love it. And we've, we've been to 39 states so far. And even in those states that we've been to, there's so much that we haven't seen. So there's, we just feel like our list of places that we want to come back to, we've really enjoyed as well as places we haven't been to at all has just continued to grow. And the times that we get to, to see one of the greatest blessings that we've been able to experience throughout this journey is being able to reconnect with some of my old players came mm -hmm. through the organization. It's been awesome. I mean, when we were out in Arizona, where, where you're at, we, we met with two of my players that are living out there now. When we went through Texas together with a couple of my players and, um, players, parents that are actually now mm -hmm. in Galveston. So that's been a tremendous blessing for us to be able to reconnect with those people that we've had such an impact on each other's lives to which if we weren't traveling, if I was still putting in a hundred hours a week at the complex, that's just not possible for us to do that. It's amazing what you can do to go after your happiness if you're persistent. And I also say consistent. So with you being on the road and you guys are going to, your goal is to probably visit all 48 continental states. Are you trying to get to Alaska and also Hawaii? 
Yeah, I don't think, I'm not a fan of aircraft at all. I have done a lot of flying, but now that we have the RV, I told my wife, I don't know that we'll ever fly again. And actually our, our niece actually flew down to meet us down here in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana and spend some time with us in a state park here. And hearing about her experience flying down here, her flight was delayed four and a half hours. Just, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is why the RV is a real good thing. So I don't know if Hawaii will actually ever be on the list. Alaska is definitely on our radar actually for 2024. We needed to find a, a summer where there was a break in grandchildren's graduations and 2024 <laughs> is fun. We're actually talking with a group of, I think it's about 10 or 12 other full-time RVers who we've met on various volunteer projects that are taking a caravan up to Alaska. So that'll be pretty cool to be part of a bigger group to go up there as opposed to just doing it on our own. So looks at May and June of 2024, the end of May and June of 2024, we'll, we'll be making that trek. That's cool. That would be, for me, I think I could live out of an RV. I'm not saying I couldn't or can't. It's just, you have to balance your, you have to be in your a right position in your life. And you really did just say, okay, here's where you're at. And that's where you stopped and where you go. I would love to travel and see, I haven't been to all 48, pretty close. I'm in the thirties. I have to go back and look, but it would be nice to be able to do that on a leisure schedule. But most people don't actually want to do things. They feel like their happiness is secondary or third to what they're supposed to be doing is work. And you made it first. Let's talk a little bit about that and how we can do better just in as human beings, because we struggle with that, with change, with happiness. We tend to get in this rut and never change. How did that work for you? Yeah, and we sure do. It, it is definitely a struggle of the human species for sure. And you do, you hear people all the time talk about how continuously working and they always talk about someday I would love to do this or someday I would love to, to do that. Sadly, in many cases, that someday never comes and they just get caught up in this rat race. And Again, even though we were doing work that was incredibly impactful and literally changing the lives of young people, it was still, I was probably slowly killing myself with the amount of hours I was putting in. It's just, it's difficult to sustain that. And I sustained it for a very long time. But again, I never really got to a point where I felt I was burnt out. There were days you'd be tired, but it was just because we were doing such good work, I guess that was my justification for missing birthday parties and missing family events and that sort of stuff. And again, not to take away from anything that we did in the organization, because it was incredible work. I think as humans, we just, we do get caught up in, in missing the impact of those little things. And I think on those trips, that was one of the things that my mother had, a, had an incredible perspective of was the little things. And on those trips where I actually took my time got off the beaten path and spent a day in Memphis. And it was one of the first times where I did, I enjoyed those little things and understood there was more here than what I was doing. So I think there just comes a time in your life where you have to take a step back and ask yourself, is what I, is what I'm doing really leading to my happiness? And like I said, we traveled as an organization a lot, but man, it was a tight schedule. It was always a tight schedule. When you're traveling with, with 60 teenage baseball players, in tow, there's not a whole lot of time to enjoy the journey, so to speak. But I think it really is just a matter of going to step back and look and saying, you know what, if I'm out there and I'm earning all this money, but I don't have the time to enjoy it, what's the point? And a friend of mine who had lost his dad several years ago told me, he said, look, my dad actually left us in a really good position, but I sit back and I question what was the price for him because he set us up for life. but 
he never had an opportunity to enjoy all this wealth that he had accumulated. And it immediately changed his thought of how he's going to approach the business that he was left and some of that stuff that he understood there was more to it than just making money all the time. Yeah, there was a gentleman that I had on another show on my other podcast that talked about baby boomers and um, how they've harmed their kids in the long run because they've been gone running their businesses and just not really present, but not giving them that structure they need to be, I don't want to call it successful, but to level up in life. And what brought that on is there's roughly almost 13 million baby boomers that own businesses today that do not have succession plans. Their kids want nothing to do with the business because they saw what their mom and dad went through and they're like, I don't want to do that. So now you've got these businesses that are either going to go out of business, it's going to be sold outside of the family, or the the baby boomer owner is going to work until they die there. And it's just, it's it's sad, and it but it's also an opportunity. I got sucked into this world about six months ago, and it's very interesting to be able to talk to some of these baby boomers that have no succession plan whatsoever, and they have four or five kids, and the kids want nothing to do with it. Or unfortunately, the other side of this is, I don't know if you're familiar with seller discretionary income. It's basically the bottom line that the owner gets from the business. Um, And a lot of them are paying their kids on the payroll for not being present. I have one that I've looked at multiple times and he keeps on coming back to me that uh, he has three kids and they're all three of them are making over $80,000 a year to to stay away from the business. And what habits are we teaching there? And I'm sure you can relate back to this with baseball and coaching these young kids and giving them the skill sets. It just seems like we've missed the target and we need to make sure that we're on it. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of trouble coming down the road. Yeah. As uh, my mom used often was, as parents, God only teaches us, God only requires us to teach our kids two things. And that's how to walk and how to walk away. And she said, the second one is so much more difficult than the first. And I think as parents, that is a struggle. And that's a perfect example. You're not really teaching those kids to be successful once you're gone. Yeah. So you, you got to teach them how to function without you. Yeah, it's it's tough. It is very tough, but I that's a digression on my side, so sorry. It's a rabbit hole. I go down them. I, it's just one of those things I do. So can we go back and talk about, because people are going to ask the question, logistics of living on the road and how that all played out in the preparation of getting you guys on the road? and what it looks like when you first started versus today. Yeah, logistically, my wife and I never spent a night in an RV. Prior to the first night we spent in this one, the first time we drove an RV was the day we drove it off the lot. So there's been a lot of a lot of learning for us. And YouTube is a great source, a great resource to figure it out along the way. And the RV community is an incredible community that is always willing to help you if you come across a problem. Logistically, the biggest challenge for me is making sure I'm scheduled. Because in addition to the writing, I host a podcast as like you do. My One of my challenges logistically is making sure I'm in a spot that's got decent Wi-Fi, that, that my hotspot will be able to work and be able to pick up good Wi-Fi and scheduling that out. And even this podcast, I think we originally scheduled months ago. And I, I thought I would end up being in Florida at the time and things changed. We ended up doing this book tour, but I still had to look at this spot on my calendar and make sure we were in a spot, you know, where we weren't moving and yeah, didn't have to pull into a, a grocery store parking lot or something like that for an hour. But we, 
We don't plan a whole lot in advance. A couple months with the book tour, it was a little different because we did have that planned out for a little over two and a half months. But outside of that, I think one of the the beauties of this lifestyle is just the freedom of being able to to pivot and to shift. After our after we leave Louisiana, we head to Atlanta for a real short time and then back down into Florida for a little bit. And then we have a friend of ours getting married in April. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot on the plan. The logistics is really just um, making sure we got half decent Wi-Fi in a spot, planning our routes. We don't tow a vehicle. If we're going to grocery shopping or something like that, I got to pull up Google Earth and look at the parking lot and make sure that you can get a 33-foot RV in and out and that there's sufficient parking stuff, little stuff like that. So I don't know if that really answered your question because there's really, I don't think there's a textbook because you talk to another full-time RVer and they're much more structured than what we are. You talk to some and they're even less structured than what we are. So I just think the flexibility is what makes the logistics easy to deal with because it, it can constantly, you can constantly move the needle on how logistically formatted you want to be or how flexible you want to be. So. I'm going to go a little bit deeper. And then when you first started, the logistics, I'm guessing, was you drove it off the lot. And did you have any type of roadmap of where you're going? Because what I'm trying to get to is I can hear people saying, how do I start if I want to do this? That's I think that's the biggest question there is what do I do to start? And then I've got a dumb question. We can digress to it really quickly. I've always asked this, but I've never gotten an answer. How do you get your mail? <laughs> We get that question a lot. So we changed our domicile residence to Florida. And okay. I've got an aunt in Florida. I've still got other family in Florida as well. But I have an aunt in Florida who actually has full hookups for us because she had oh, some cool. friends who full-time RV okay. for four years as well and used her address as a domicile. So our mail actually goes to her address. And then when we're at a spot a week or two where we know we'll be there for a while, she'll package it up and send it to us. And quite honestly, most of it's junk because we do everything online. We do pay all our bills online, everything remotely in that regard. But there's out of a package this thick, there's probably five or six pieces in there that are relevant. And we have an app through the postal service where we see what, what comes in. So if we do see something that we know we need, we'll expedite the process of getting it to us. But for people who don't have an aunt or a relative that they can use as a domicile, there's actually services out there for full-time RVers. There's actually one and a half million people in the United States that live in an RV full-time, which when I first heard that number, I was totally blown away by it. But so there are services out there that, that provide that to you where you have a physical address of their spot and then they'll forward it to you. And again, I don't know what the costs are involved as far as that goes, but yeah, that's how we got our mail. And that's a pretty common question. It wasn't that far, wasn't that off the wall. But to answer your other question, as far as with us, again, our plans were very fluid because this went into motion in 2019. We knew that 2020 was going to be the year for us to do it. And the day we were actually purchasing our RV was March 20th, 2020, which was also the day that the governor of Pennsylvania was issuing the shutdown orders for the state of Pennsylvania for that, that little thing called COVID that some yeah. of us might still remember. So that was not our plan to buy the RV and have it sit in our yard as we took our house off the market for a couple months. But by the same token, we had this weird sense of peace while we were doing it, that it was still the right decision. We got a really good deal on our RV. It was a 2019 leftover. So we got a really good deal on it, but that was not the plan initially. It was sell the house, buy the RV and take off. We had the RV sitting in the yard for a couple months. Our house went back on the market in June of 2020. And after 10 days, we had an agreement 
luckily a long settlement that allowed us to sell everything else off. So we settled on August 14th and hit the road then. And we knew our first, our, our first route, so to speak, was going to be to take a trip down the Blue Ridge Parkway through Shenandoah National Park and then down through, down the Blue Ridge Parkway in North Carolina. Cause that was a trip that we'd taken bits and pieces of throughout our life. And it was just that thing, like this was the first thing we wanted to do. But for anybody out there who's considering it, I, I think just taking that leap, taking that first step, whether that's going and looking at RVs, browsing the internet at RVs, go to an RV show. There's so many options out there, whether you want a motorhome, whether you want to, even there, there's class C motorhomes, class A motorhomes. You got fifth wheels, travel trailers. So really doing some research as to what what's the right rig, so to speak for you. And again, for us, so we started out not towing a vehicle just because we'd never driven a motorhome, and we knew there was already going to be a learning curve. So we didn't want to add another component to that. But now that we're almost three years in, we don't even feel that we have a need for a vehicle at this point. We can take a taxi, we can Uber, we can use public transportation, depending on where we're at in the campground. When we get back home to Pennsylvania, we've got relatives who will allow us to use a car if we need it. So as of right now, we don't have any plans to do it, to tow a vehicle in the near future. But again, that's something that you need to think about if you're looking at embarking on the journey. Are you going to tow a vehicle? Are you going to flat tow it? Are you going to put it on a trailer? Are you going to put it on one of those little dollies where just the front wheels are off the ground? And again, what's right for you? Because you talk to people that use a trailer and they say, yep, this is the greatest option. You talk to people that flat toe and they're like, yep, this is the greatest option. You talk to people who have a dolly. It's yep. This is the greatest option. <laughs> so again, I think it's just a matter of figuring out what's, what's best for you and your circumstances at that time. But I think the biggest thing is just making the decision, making the decision, take the leap, like, like anything else in life, whether it's looking to live in an RV full time or starting a business or starting a podcast or writing a book, it's take that first step. Every journey starts with that first step, regardless of what it is. I think that's the big thing, right? There. Very true. You got to take that first step and you got to keep on going. It yep. seems like at least what I see on YouTube when I'm on there, a lot of these younger folks, because we're not that young, at least I'm not, are wanting those Sprinter vans or they want the Mercedes vans. They're looking for the Dodge vans. They want that. I saw some of the prices on those and I'm like, my gosh, you could get a full-size RV for that price. It's crazy. Yeah. Our 33 foot class CRV is less expensive than most of those Sprinter vans or Dodge vans, whatever the case is. Yeah. In a case like that, if you're younger, look at something used as opposed to new, just to get that price tag down. And the other component that I think makes this lifestyle much more easier than what it was years ago are all the options to work remotely. Uh, yeah. So it's not, there's so many families that we've met throughout this journey are doing it and working remotely. So it's not just retired people. It's not just people sitting on a, a trust fund or something like that. We are far from independently wealthy. I calculate the number of books I sell to book signing as to how much gas that'll put in the tank next time around. So, but there's just so many ways to earn money. There's work camping where you can go into a campground and be a camp host for two or three months and you're getting your site paid for and then also earning an income as well. So there's so many options. And even when my mom did this back in the eighties, she was probably, again, she was like the old song, your country before country was cool. Kind of my mom when it came to the full-time travel, because she, she felt she was running low on cash. She'd stop and she'd work pumping gas or waitressing or whatever it was till she felt she was comfortable to, to move on. So many options out there to be able to earn money to do this. So you don't have to be like, okay, as soon as I get a couple hundred thousand dollars in, my, in the bank, then I'll take off and do this. No, just do it if you want to do it and uh, figure it out along the way. 
Yeah, the only challenge is we got interest rate issues. So if they're financing some of these, those payments are astronomically large. So yes. making sure you're financially secure is one piece you got to look at. Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. For sure. Um, so you're finishing up a book tour. Did you say you're going to Atlanta and then Florida? Yes. Yeah. Okay. How did the book tour come about? So I'm actually, I found out about a program from a woman that I actually did a podcast with, and then she had me on her show as well. Another fellow author who was part of a program called National Authors in Grocery Stores, which was something I had never heard of. I never thought that like, signing books in a grocery store was a, a viable option, but I, I looked into it and it's a program that's available in, I think, nine different states. And it's through uh, the Kroger brand Kroger and their subsidiaries. And so I reached out to the guy and with us traveling, it was a perfect opportunity to line some stuff up. And then we also, as we would go into a campground and we knew we'd be at a campground in a couple of days and we would see that was a, a campground that did events. I would then personally reach out to them and see if they'd be interested in setting up a book signing while we were there. And all the ones that we reached out to were, were very into that idea. So it was authors and grocery stores program, as well as their own setting up events at campgrounds and stuff in between. So it's been really good to us. And again, when you first think about it, you're like, wow, that that's a thing, signing, signing books in, in grocery stores. But it's been great. And again, it's been just meeting people and hearing their stories as well as selling books. It's a, a double whammy. It's not so much about the book you sell on the spot, but I'm handing out business cards and maybe a speaking engagement comes from one of those interactions. Maybe they buy a book down the road. Maybe they start following the podcast, whatever the case is. It's really as much networking as this about selling books and signing books. So what type of speaking engagements are you? Really anything. I'll obviously youth sports. I'll still, still a big, big passion of mine, even though I'm not directly involved anymore. But other than that, really just leadership and talking about, as we spoke earlier, getting out of that rat race and just living life and really living in the moment and understanding how, how important it is to not take um, tomorrow for granted. Yeah, you got to go out and just do it. I don't know why people sit on the couch and watch Netflix. It's hard. I, it's hard to see people do that and they wonder why they're not getting what they want out of life. It's sad, I should say. And unfortunately, the internet has caused some inflation in our expectations in in what we think we can do. I'm going to put out one video on, on TikTok and I'm going to be a I'm going to be a millionaire overnight and that just doesn't work. And you have to consistently post and go through that whole process. And we've lost that in just hearing you talk and how happy you are and how you are going after your passion. That's what the listeners need to hear. It's like, whatever your passion is, find a way to monetize it, go do it and just make it happen. It, I know that simplifies it, but it truly, that's what life is about is figuring out what you're happy about, what makes you happy, what's your passion. And you just go do it. You got to find a way. But if you think it's going to, you're going to try once and you're going to be rich, it's just a downfall. And we've lost that drive. Yeah, definitely have that instant gratification for sure. And it's just, I, I did a talk actually in the, in the Houston area not too long ago. And I mentioned, one of the things I'd mentioned is, can people tell me when did the Astros win the World Series? You know, and a lot of them were like, oh, November of this year, yada, yada. I'm like, no, the truth is they won that World Series series in February, March of 2023 during spring training when they were doing the constant PFPs and infield outfield practice and taking extra rounds in the cage and that sort of stuff. That's when that world series was won. But yeah, they got the trophy in November, but it was really won in spring training. And that's the thing I think that we lose today. And that's one of the reasons why I love being able to 
resort to my sports background and use those life lessons that that's truly when championships are won. It's in the work that you're doing when nobody's watching. You know, that's when winners win. Yeah. Everybody thinks being an entrepreneur is glorious and happy and joy, but they don't realize all the stuff that you have to do on a daily basis to hold that together to make those wins. And it's a long process. And as I, I joke about it, I'm a two-time failure at entrepreneurship and I had to go back and uh, I did I had to go back and learn, you know, how to fish and keep my table full of food and make sure the bills are paid. And there's a lot of things that corporate America does not teach you to be an entrepreneur. And a lot of people don't see that and don't get exposed to it during their lifetime. And I wish we would do more of that in school or have some opportunities for people to experience it because I think there'd be a lot more entrepreneurs or small business owners out there. People are just scared of it and don't yeah. know what they're getting into. Yeah, so we're getting close here to the wrap up point. So before we, we finish up, what is, I just have one other question. What got you guys to a 33 foot RV? I know it's dumb, but always, I ask these questions when I talk to people that are on the road, I've, you're not the first, but, uh, and I don't think you're gonna be the last, but it's just curious why that's. It just seemed like a size we could handle. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. If we really only looked at two different RVs, and again, we looked at the floor plans online and really liked them. And we ended up looking at the one that we're in now first. And then we looked at another one that was smaller. Right? I think it was a 26 footer. It's not drastically smaller, but once you got inside, it was wow, that is, that's a big difference. That seven feet makes a big difference. So right. It felt like the size wasn't too overwhelming without ever driving an RV previously. And it's paid off for us. It's worked out because again, we can get it in and out of most you know, shopping center parking lots and stuff like that. A lot of the, not a lot, but there's a handful of national parks where some of the larger RVs, you're not able to actually even get a site because they were designed long before a 40 foot or a 45 foot RV was even a thing. So that that's worked in our favor. So again, it really just came down to what I felt I'd be comfortable driving and not, not being overwhelmed with and being able to handle. That was really the biggest thought process of it. And like I said, we really liked the floor plan. Now we'd actually did do a renovation to it. We had some bunks in the back that we took out just because we never used it. It's a, literally, it's a two-person RV, a two-person and a dog, although our, our niece is traveling with us the next couple of days. But I think that's really the limit is uh, three humans and the dog is probably the max that we're comfortable with in this thing. But yeah, that was really the main thought process. And it was just what I felt I could handle on the road. That's awesome. That, hey, I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy for what you're doing. It's you're going after what you truly enjoy and is your passion. And guys, if you're listening, re-listen, talk about it, listen to what we were talking about, because there was just a lot of happiness coming out and making change in your life doesn't have to be difficult. You just have to make a decision and go do it. Sir, it's been a pleasure. But before we wrap up, I want people to be able to get a hold of you. What's the best place to get a hold of you? Talk about your books, maybe a speaking engagement. There might be people listening that are on the road too and they're warriors and want to connect with you. How can they do that? Absolutely. The easiest way is just go to the website, which is journeymymotherson.com or danclauser.com. They both go to the exact same site. From there, there's links to all my socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram are the main ones I'm on. I have a Twitter account, but I haven't used it in years. But uh, yeah, so really, if you get to the website, everything's there. Information on the books, information on speaking engagements, link to the podcast, every, everything you can find will be on the websites. And again, it's journeymymotherson.com or danclauser.com. We'll make sure we link those in the show notes to make sure everyone gets a hold of you. 
Sir, thank you for the conversation. It's been great. Enjoy your travels, finish up your book tour and enjoy some warm weather down there. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you.